Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. If you want to turn to John chapter 4 tonight, we'll be looking at some things there. Uh, we're continuing our series on Healing is Ours. And there, there's, there are lessons here that extend beyond healing as in subject matter or healing application. And we'll get to that. But, uh, he, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, I believe that healing is that it is the dinner bell of the gospel. As, and I don't know if it was Raymond T. Ritchie, I believe, said that. That healing is the dinner is the dinner bell of the gospel. It's the thing, and I believe we're going to see a revival of divine healing. I believe we're already seeing it start, and I want to be in on it. Praise God! I want to be right smack in the big fat middle of it, and see what God is doing because I believe the day is coming where if people don't get healed by God, they're going to have to do without because you know th the way things are going in our culture. Uh, a friend of mine had. Uh, an operation uh, recently down in uh, South America where he had some stuff done that required an operation. It required full uh, anesthesia and, uh, you know, two or three days in the hospital and everything. And when he got ready to get out his hospital bill, he had to pay it out of his own pocket, $2,000. You can't even go see the doctor for that up here, you know. And, you know, imagine where it's going to be in a year two years, whatever, but God, but God, hallelujah. John chapter four, this is the only place it's recorded, verses 46 through 54. Therefore he, meaning Jesus, came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official there whose, <coughs> excuse me, son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs, uh, and the word people there is in, in italics, and so he said, unless you all. Unless you all see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. And the royal official said, says, historical present to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus says to him, Go, your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was living. So he inquired of him, of them, the hour at which he began to get better. And they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour, it was at that hour, which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed in with his and his whole household. This is, and that becomes important. This is again, a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. All right, now, this is, again, we're talking about healing, but we're talking about receiving healing by faith. I have said this over and over, probably, if I've said it once, I've said it 400 times. And that is that faith does not grow as fast as hair. Yeah. 
I wish it did. You know, I adopted that phrase from motorcycling where they have a saying that hide, like if you have road rash, you fall off your motorcycle, hide doesn't grow as fast as hair. And so we, you know, when the Lord spoke to me two decades ago and talked about how he, when he said, I weep for my people who are about to be left behind. It is not that he doesn't love them. It's not that they are not born again. He did say my people. It is that they were not going to allow him in the ensuing time to prepare their hearts to build it. They were not going to work to build up their faith to be to where they could believe God in the clutch. Now, you know what the clutch is? It's not just the whirring discs in your transmission that connect your motor to the rest of the drivetrain. It, it, in, in baseball, how many of you here know baseball? Everybody understand what baseball is? Okay. You know, the, uh, here's Mighty Casey. How many of you remember the, 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 old, uh, the old poem, Mighty Casey? There was no joy in Mudville that day, you know. So Casey steps in. They're behind. There's men on base. Mighty Casey is a slugger. He's famous for his, for his, uh, uh, his home run prowess and everything. And he steps in there. This is a situation where it's two outs. It's the bottom of the ninth. It is, there's men on base. They are behind. They need to score to win. This is what's called a clutch situation. He's got to come through in the clutch. There will be times, if you haven't had them already, and I'm pretty sure you have if you've walked with God for more than, I don't know, 20 minutes, that there will be times when your faith will have to come through for you, where it will be, where you are going to. I remember one time praying when I was in graduate school. God, I just want to be in that situation where it's really it's up to you and it's all you. And if you don't come through, you know, it's it, you know that and it can only be you. You better be careful when you pray like that, because God just loves putting you in a situation like that. And once he has your permission, he'll do it quickly. This man. It says, when, uh, and the royal official whose son was sick, and when he heard that Jesus was coming out of Judea into uh, Galilee, he heard. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. Obviously, the man was aware of Jesus' ministry. And when it says there in uh, 454, this is the second miracle uh, Again, the second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea. That didn't mean it was only the second miracle he had performed. It means it was, it's geographically. That's the second thing he had done specifically in Cana. And we know from Acts 10 and 37 and 38, you yourselves know the thing which took place through all Judea. Now, this is Peter ministering to the house of Cornelius in Caesarea, which is some distance from Jerusalem. And yes, this is some time after the resurrection, but they are aware. They had heard the things that Jesus had done were famous. Jesus was famous. He was, he was famous with some people and infamous with others. 
I understand that. You yourselves know the thing which took place through all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Even Herod had been trying to see Jesus. He was saying, this is John the Baptist, having risen from the dead, because he was hearing Herod himself in his palace was hearing about the things that Jesus was doing. He was a healer. He was a wonder worker. People hung on his words. That was before the church split in John 6. Situations similar to this man, the one that this man had with his son struggling and dying had been successfully resolved. He may have heard about the centurion's servant you know, he may have heard of, of those, one of those stories. And a hopeful expectation was sparked in this man. In Mark chapter 10 and verses 17 through... Now, what I'm about to tell you is that I don't think that this man's faith was quite where it needed to be. And Jesus, although it sounds like he is berating him or is in somehow criticizing him he is throwing uh, what was that who wants what was that show where they used to do you know i throw me a lifeline was that like who wants to be a millionaire or something like that i can't remember i you know because i'm I, I don't i'm not a big game show guy all right and and so he's throwing him a lifeline he's definitely not saying no all right Clearly the man believes to an extent, but there is more. Now let's look at another situation where Jesus did something very similar. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And he, again meaning Jesus, was setting out on a journey. A man, as he was, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? There, no one is good except God alone. Well, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Obey authority. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus found the chink in his armor. Jesus put his finger right on the one thing where he couldn't surrender it to God. Did this guy later come into the kingdom? Actually, some tradition says that that was Barnabas that, that, that did that. We don't know that that's true. When we get to heaven, we'll find out. But these words, at these words, he, meaning the man who ran up to Jesus, was saddened and went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. The very fact that both the man in the story of Mark, who, says, you know, who comes and says, you know, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Or the royal official, the very fact that they had a certain amount of faith, is evident because they came to him. Right? Okay. But there are millions who believe about Jesus without believing in him. 
Remember what he said at the, in the, um, what one of my professors in seminary used to call the, the altar call of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Remember the Sermon on the Mount goes Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And at the very end he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And so he said, okay. He, you know, he, he said, Rabbi, I, what do I need? He said, okay, one thing you like. And he told him, but he didn't go do it. All right. So, he, you know, in this case, the royal official believed to an extent because he sought Jesus out. Now, when it says a royal official, it literally says a kingly one. One of rank or of noble birth or more likely one of Herod's courtiers. Tradition says that this was Chusa, the wife of Joanna, who is mentioned in Luke chapter 8 and verse 3. That he was Herod's steward, that is to say his treasurer or his comptroller. He did not summon Jesus, but he went and found Jesus. Now you got to remember that Jesus, you know, was a question mark. He was an enigma in Herod's court. So here is one of Herod's courtiers who under pressure says, I'm going to go find this guy. We've all been hearing about him. We've all been hearing about the things that he's done. I'm going to go find him because little Chusa, you know, Chusa Jr. is 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 going to die. And if this was Chusa, which I have a tendency to believe it was because it goes on to say and his whole household believed. And then Joanna is mentioned a little later. And she, by the way, became a regular contributor to his ministry out of their private means. So Chusa went from just being somebody who was curious to someone who was not curious, but who was kind of believing and hoping to somebody who did believe. And then somebody who got on board and pushed. Amen. I mean, he came to the car, he got in the car, then he got out of the car and started pushing the car. I love the idea of that. Now, and, and another thing is this, that there were a lot of questions about Jesus. And so in Herod's court, he would have heard the dissenting voices as well as the pro voices. In 49, verse 49, he says, sir or master or perhaps even Lord. It is a term of deep curiosity. It's a team of a term of deep respect and most you know, I want you to think about this. This, you know, we think of, well, he's talking to Jesus. Jesus was an itinerant preacher. Going from place to place, preaching the gospel. Miracles were being done by his hands. But he also, as I said, was not respected. In fact, he was despised by most of the hierarchy. Out of the Sanhedrin, we only know of two Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who did believe in him. There may have been some others because we're told in the book of Acts that many of the Pharisees and even the priests believed, but that was later. All right. And so he approached, he sought out Jesus, even though he had all these mixed signals with him. And he respected Jesus. 
You know, it's gotten to the point today because of everything that's happened that, you know, it used to be that clergy was held in very high esteem in our nation. And when you look at the, you know, things that people esteem nowadays, clergy is well down the list. Fortunately, we are still ahead of Congress. <laughs> of course, everybody's ahead of Congress. And I, no, I mean that literally. Everybody on the list was ahead of Congress. Congress is in the basement. And then, you know, the mainstream media has sunk down to those levels. And something about car salesmen. But anyway, uh, most, within our, you know, most within our culture, you know, when the, it, when the pastor tells you something, you know, one of the things that, that Oral Roberts was talking about, from 1948 to 1959, we had a, an absolutely magnificent outpouring of the healing power of the Holy Spirit in this country. We had people like uh, O.L. Jaggers and, and Raymond T. Ritchie and, and uh, Oral Roberts and A.A. Uh, A. Allen and, and uh, Jack Coe and David Nunn and all of these people who were, you know, crisscrossing the nation with the big gospel tent, you know, and they were seeing gobsmacking miracles happen in these things. The lines for, to, for people to be, you know, to receive ministry were so long that in some cases they would start the meeting at seven o'clock. They would have the worship service. They would, you know, they would take up the offering. The, the man of God would preach, you know, or the woman of God in the case of somebody like Catherine Coleman, the man, the man of God or um, uh, Amy Simple McPherson. The man of God or the woman of God would, would, would preach, followed by hours of prayer for the sick. And I've seen pictures. You, when I'm a graduate of Oral Roberts University. I could go up into the Holy Spirit Research Center, which is the very top floor of the LRC, the Learning Resources Center there. And you can watch. Uh, you, I, there are videos up there of 16 millimeter films of William Branham and... Uh, uh, President Roberts, as we called him, President Roberts and all that. And pictures of him sitting in a chair because he couldn't stand up the whole time. He'd be sitting there praying for people. And one of the things he said, and I've heard him discussing it with somebody else, said, I would much rather pray for a Presbyterian or a Methodist or a Lutheran than I would for a Pentecostal. Because the Pentecostal is used to feeling things. You know, they're used to, uh, and, you know, got that little hand twist thing going. And, you know, uh, getting all, getting cold chills, hot chills, flash, you know, whatever, you know. And the mainstream uh, uh, Protestants didn't expect nothing. They didn't expect a hot flash or a cold flash or chills or, or electricity or anything like that. And he said, I could tell them, I could pray for them and say, you are healed, go sit down. And they go, oh, okay. And they go sit down and they'd receive. But the charismatics, the Pentecostals, would say, well, I didn't feel nothing. Well, if you didn't feel anything, then it didn't happen. That's not faith. I don't mean, I don't remember being this awake when I came in tonight. We were all standing up here talking about energy crisis. There's an energy crisis. We're all tired. <laughs> the you know, there was a terse exchange between Jesus and this man. I think you would agree with that. He said, come down and pray for my son. He's at the point of death. 
and heal my son. He didn't pray there. He said healing. For he's at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you, unless you all, it's plural, see signs and wonders, you simply won't believe. But the royal official said to him, sir, please. It's imploring him, come down before my child dies. And said, go, your son lives. Now, I understand that John is given us the praise the greatly condensed form of what happened. But I think under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote it this way with purpose. Something here, a list, and we know from John 21, 25, and there are many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose the world itself wouldn't contain the books that are written. So we know that it's been condensed. But the fact that Jesus did not address the officer directly. He said, unless you all see signs and wonders. Now here's something rather incident, uh, interesting. And that's the word for wonders. Jesus, we'll get to that in a second. Jesus was being polite. He detected somehow, in my humble opinion, that somehow this man's faith wasn't quite there. So he kind of, you know, if you want to call it that, fired a shot across his bow. Unless you see signs and wonders. Unless you have some sort of an epiphany. Unless you have, you know, unless I reach out my hand and put it on you and you feel Power flow into your body. And then I say, go, your son lives. You know, something like that. You know, you won't believe. And he said, please come down. He said, go. Your son lives. Now, again, unless you all. He wasn't directing it only at the man. He was directing it at everybody. Unless you all see signs and wonders, you won't believe. So he was being polite. You know, you can be in a church. You can work in a church. You can even be in the ministry And that isn't enough because it is possible to be around the things of God constantly and still be lacking of faith. Whether it's healing or finances or any other need, I've seen it for decades. It's possible to have your faith well developed in one area and not very well developed in another area. Back when I used to lift weights and was I wasn't into bodybuilding, I was lifting weights. Why would you say that you weren't into bodybuilding? Because I did arms, I did shoulders, I did biceps, triceps, I did, you know, pecs, you know, lats and all that kind of stuff, but I did not do legs. You know, they used to laugh about it. You don't need legs, you know. I didn't do squats. I didn't do squat. <laughs> I didn't do squats. I didn't do, you know, the all the extension things and all that kind of stuff. I just wasn't interested in it. And so, you know, there was a day and those of you who've been around long enough. Remember when I was, you know, almost too big for my shirts and well, not anymore. But, you know, but my pants always fit me. Because, you know, my my legs, you know, I just didn't work. So in other words, when it came to strength, my arm strength, my chest strength had increased notably, but my leg strength was the same. We can be built up in one area of our faith and really be strong there. Don't necessarily, but don't necessarily expect that to work in every other area unless you're feeding your faith in those areas.
Part of that is because of the flesh, but a good part of it is because the devil will oppose you on every hand. He will do everything he can to attack you and to get you into doubt and unbelief and fear. Being in the, you know, so it's pot, um, it's possible to be strong in one area and not quite up to snuff in another. Unless you all see signs and portents, not wonders. It's not the word that's, they translate it wonders here, but it's not the word that ordinarily uh, uh, thaumaturgizo, the you know, working of wonders and miracles. Portents, you absolutely won't believe. The word means, in fact, in other words, it says, you could say it this way, a portent is an omen. Now, the word omen has a negative nuance to it to me. But, you know, it's actually quite neutral. You know, this is an omen. Well, is it a good omen or is it a bad omen? We usually think of omens as being, you know, as, necess- as, uh, as being negative. Today, we wouldn't call it an omen. We would call it confirmation. You get a good place to chuckle in self-examination. Oh, I would never ask for an omen, but please confirm the word to me, Lord. You know, sometimes we love to put out, you know, uh, a lot of people love to put out a fleece and that is foolish. Give me a prophetic utterance. Have somebody walk up to me at Walmart, a complete stranger, and have them prophesy over and confirm this, you know, Lord. I want some proof of what God is saying or what I have on the inside. I remember years and years ago, 20-something years ago, when one of my Volkswagens had pretty much fried itself in fact, it happened in Mark and Chris's driveway. How long ago was that? 30 years? Yeah, long before 91. I'm st- I go over to their house for something. I'm taking something over there. I get out of my diesel dasher. I mean, if you remember the Volkswagen dasher. I've got a diesel dasher. It's got a diesel engine. It's, out and it's sitting in the driveway idling. <laughs> you know. And we're talking at the door. You know, because Mark is so talkative not and we're talking maybe it was me <laughs> and we're 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 fellowshipping there at the door and everything and i you know i'm sure they invited me and i said no i you know cars on i gotta go and i really did and i probably stood there maybe 10 12 minutes well what i didn't know is that the uh thermostat either the thermostat for the electric fan for the uh radiator either the thermostat failed or the fan did and so it overheated while it was sitting there. Now it didn't quit running and it ran home just fine. But when I got in and I looked at the, you know, the temperature gauge and went, uh-oh. And if you know anything about motors, you know that diesel engines do not respond well to overheating. And the next day it was all I could do to get it started because of compression loss and everything. And I had had so much trouble with the rabbit that I had before that, you know, and all that kind of stuff that I just said, you know what, that's it. I'm driving junky cars, you know. Have you ever just reached the point that you've just made a declaration over yourself? You don't even ask God. You say, this is what this way it's going to be, you know. I mean, those of you who remember my first diesel, seven, I think it was a 78 
diesel rabbit rust all over the, the, the body in places. In fact, that's what happened to the car. I was backing out of the driveway and the right rear wheel just collapsed into the body. And I t took it to Wayne over here and he said, we'll, we'll weld it but, and we'll get it as straight as we can. But from that point forward, it drove just a little sideways. What my dad used to call dog tracking. Because dogs don't run straight. I don't know if you ever run behind one. They, they, they can't usually, one side or the other. And that car quit on me. And now this one had run for a while. And then to have this happen. And I knew that, you know, it's in the middle of the winter. And as long as I kept a heater on it, a block heater on it, it would start. But if I forgot to do it or I stayed someplace too long and it was cold. Because this was like December, January time frame. And it's like, oh my, you know, it's like, I'm just so sick. In fact, that first rabbit, I had one of those little, little triangles that, you know, with a suction cup that, you know, that dangled on it. That instead of saying baby on board, it said, rust is my favorite color. <laughs> People pulling up beside me, pointing at me and laughing. I was going to take umbrage, but they were laughing with me. And I said, I'm going to buy, you know, that's it. I'm going to go out. I'm going to buy a new car. I deserve a new car. I'm going to have a new car. And then just as I was going to sleep, either the next night, that night or the next night, the spirit of God spoke to me ultra clearly and said, don't buy anything new, at least until late March. Now, this was in January. And I went, OK, Lord, that's fine. And fine, you know, and so I I lay there for a second to go to sleep. And then I went, wait a minute, though, but that's. That's two and a half months away. I said, Lord, if that was you, could you confirm that to me? I want an omen. He has never done this before or since. I haven't actually asked that question since. But where I had a follow up. Yes, you know, Mr. President, I have a follow up. I said, Lord, could you Confirm that to me. And he said, I mean, the spirit spoke against it. You don't need confirmation. Just do what I tell you. I mean, that's exactly what he said. You don't need confirmation. Just do what I tell you. Well, I don't know if God would speak to somebody at, you know, quite like that. Came too late to convince me. You just do it. All right. And. The time came, he worked it all out, and I was very glad that I had listened to him. So even if you would consider this a mild rebuke to this man, which I received, you don't need confirmation, just do what I tell you. I don't even know that's a mild rebuke. You know, it, it, yes, sir. <laughs> Jesus says, even though it isn't, you people just won't believe unless you see signs. He's setting him up to believe. He's setting him up. Then out of the clear blue, Jesus goes, go, your child lives. No embellishment. No explanation of how it was going to happen. No, you know, uh, window dressing or Twinkie stuffing. Just go, your child lives. 
And he stand. Now he's got a choice here. Here's the father's dilemma. What am I going to do with this? Kind of like Naaman the Syrian. He expected Elisha to come out and wave his hand over him or do all this and everything. But all he said was, go, your child, your child lives. He's not exactly saying no to my request, but he isn't doing what I expected and wanted him to do. What Jesus did do was give him the word. He gave him the word. And that was not lost on this gentleman. So now he faced a choice. Does he require a sign? Does he require an omen? Or, you know, does, by that I mean, does he need Jesus to physically hold him by the hand as they go all the way to his son's house? Does he need Jesus to turn water into wine one more time here in front of him? In order for him to believe this thing. And if he does, how is that faith? Well, this man, I believe it was Chuzah. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. How do we know? Because he immediately started home. Just like when we get to him. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. The guy took off. He went. He obeyed. He complied. He responded in faith. Now, it is 16 miles from Cana to Capernaum. And they said later on, what time did the fever left him? Yesterday at the seventh hour. Now, it depends on whether you do Roman time or Hebrew time. Hebrew time goes from six in the morning to six in the, in the, uh, in the evening. Whereas Roman time goes noon to midnight and midnight to noon. So in other words, the seventh hour would have been about seven o'clock in the evening, 1900. And so at about seven o'clock in the evening and John uses Roman time uh, later on, like in, in chapter 19. So we can assume that he's using Roman time here. And so it was about seven o'clock in the evening when he told this man, go, your son lives. So in other words, he's not going to take off that night and go on a 16 mile hike. Even if they had horses and stuff, it's a long, that's, that'd be a pretty good journey. But as they're going, it, you know, um, some, you know, something had changed in this guy. He truly believed. He doesn't make it home until the next day. And I want you to think about this. As he's riding along or walking along, he's probably riding because since he is one of Herod's courtiers, as he's riding along, you know the enemy is there to steal that healing. I mean, he is there to tell him, you know, he, he didn't do any of the things he should. You better go back and get that preacher and get him to come. In fact, you need to go see Herod and have a couple soldiers go with you and make him come. You know, you, it, 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 they're, they're, you know all, all that, you know, or, you know, just torment, you know. And upon his, as he's going back, some of his servants are coming. He meets his servants on coming the other way. They probably were trying to run him down to let him know. And they said, quite literally, your boy lives. Your boy is alive. Exactly as the Lord had said. Praise God. Now, if our musicians would come, we'll begin to bring this in for a landing. Here is faith. When what God said is as real 
or more real than the need, than the frustration, than the fear, than the doubt. More real than the pain. More real than the shortage. Um, You have to know that you know that you know that you know that you know. Down here, your head can be a little bit loose. But you can be firm in your heart. Um, People go out here to worlds of fun. And they ride those roller coasters and their bodies are telling them they're going to die. But they are sitting there with their hands in the air screaming, not in terror. You know, I've got over 1000 jumps out of airplanes and, you know, parachute jumps. Some, some of the sensations that you feel, in, that you experience in skydiving, would scare the daylights out of most people. But for me, they were a genuine rush. I'll never, you know, when a friend of mine used to be in this church, he was an independence cop, said, I'd like to go up with you and take a picture of you, you know, as you, you let go. I said, okay. So we put him back to dash of a Cessna 182. We got to 10,000 feet. I put up the door, it folds up. It doesn't open this way, it folds up and latches and there's a little platform that they build out there. And you step out, I said, this is what I'm gonna do. I told him, I'm gonna step out, I'm gonna hang from the, you know, I'm gonna hang from from the strut and I'm gonna count to three and let go so you can get your picture. And I had visions internally of him getting a picture of me, you know, in the air, hanging on to nothing as I went, you know. And when I climbed out there, I when I put the door up, and it's loud, as you might imagine. And I said, you ready? And he said, yeah. So I climb out, grab hold of the strut, and I go, one, two, three. And the guys, the other skydivers who were going to come out after me, said that when he didn't get a single picture that when I let go, he went, because I was gone. You know, what he needed was a motor drive where he could go like that. Because when I said three, you know, or two and a half, he should have taken pictures. Because the earth, gravity works. I mean, when you let go, you're gone, baby. You know, you're on your way down. And I, you know, and it's like, wow, I love it. Some people be going, But I love it. Why? Because I'm trained. I believe in this stuff I've got on my back, this equipment. I don't get out of that airplane hoping I don't die. I get out of that airplane in confidence that I'm not going to die. Have you ever had a parachute fail? Yes, twice. What do you do? I have another one. And I, I I chop my trash and throw out my reserve. And I land and I gather everything up. I go back to the to the packing shed and do it again. Not because I not because I I need to get back up on that horse and ride or I'll never jump again. No, I have perfect confidence. We had a kid 
and I'm sorry I'm delaying with these, but I think you get the point. We had a kid out there with whom I used to jump. He was a good 15 years younger than I was, so, you know, or is, so that's why I say he's a kid. He wasn't a kid, he was in his 20s. And, he, you know, he got up to about jump 11 or 12 in like a 20 jump progression, and he just froze in the door. He, he just couldn't go. And so the instructor said to him, what happened, Nathan? He said, I just couldn't go. He said, you've already made 11 jumps. You, you, everything's fine or whatever it was. And he said, I know, I know. I don't understand. I couldn't go. He said, I was just so fearful. And so the uh, instructor, Casey, said, you know what? Let's do this. Let's just to break through this. Let's go do a tandem. He was a tandem instructor. That's where you strap you know, somebody on has a much larger parachute and a drogue chute. So they go out the door. Nathan strapped to Casey. They go out the door and they're in free fall. And Casey throws out his mane and it's trash. And he looks up and he sees it. And so he told Nathan, he said, okay, Nathan, we've got a malfunction. I'm going to chop this and go to the reserve. So, you know, stay cool, you know. And so, away with the main, out comes the reserve, and down to the earth they go. Casey's thinking, well, that's it, he's done. And when they got to the ground, Nathan said, have you got more time to train today? He said, yeah. He said, let's go do it. And he said, after that, he said, I saw it work. I saw it work. It works. We've been walking with God. That's the whole point of what God said to us 20 years ago. Stick with me. Stick with me. Stick with me. And you'll see me work. I am a stronger believer in prayer today than I have ever been in my life. Because I am seeing answers. And in fact, in a very real sense, I'm kicking myself because... I didn't pray more in the past. And I didn't pray about specific things in the past. And God in his mercy got doofus here anyway. How many of you know what I'm saying? Yeah, when I go out the plane door, I realize there is danger. But I don't think I'm going to die. I don't even believe I'm going to get hurt. Yes, I recognize the potential. But you know what? God is faithful. If we will humble ourselves to believe what he says, not what we see, not what we feel, not what other people say, and reject every contradictory datum, every contrary thing that somebody might say or feeling which comes to us, because we know that what he said is true. Faith doesn't need signs. It doesn't need wonders. It doesn't need portents. It doesn't need omens. It doesn't need confirmation. His word is enough. You know, we sing that song, Your Grace is Enough. And I'm here to tell you, in the days, in the days to come, you are going to see things. There are going to be times when your head is going to say, there is no way. And your heart's going to say, say it. Speak it out. Speak that word. 
Say what God says. And stand your ground and watch God move. And somebody said, well, does it ever become easy? Well, it can become easier, but I'll tell you, God will always have you in a place where you're going to need to believe him for something. Because those who come to him must believe that he is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let's all stand. Those of you watching by web, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for staying with us. If you do not know Jesus of Nazareth as your Lord and your Savior, I invite you right now. Don't wait. Come into the kingdom of God. Be born again and let God begin that transformation process, that that instruction process to teach you to walk by faith and not by sight and to be like Chuza. So that not only did he believe, but his whole household believed. That means all of those people are in heaven. And they are wearing considerable crowns because they got in with Jesus' ministry and helped him. Amen. The way you do that is that you ask Jesus into your heart. It's not a formula. You just say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Father, I believe that you have raised Jesus from the dead. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I give myself to you. That's important. This isn't just some formula you you recite. It is a heartfelt commitment. Christian, are you just nibbling around the edges? Because I assure you that what the Lord has spoken to me and to us in this congregation is, he said 20 years ago, in 20, in 2002, so it'll, it'll, in September, it'll be 22 years where he said, I weep for my people who are about to be left behind. And I know that's already happening. And as the events of this year get crazier and crazier, and believe me, we ain't seen, we've seen some crazy things happen with bank failures and stuff like that. Oh, but the heaviest part of it is yet to come. We're going to need to believe God. We're going to need to stand our ground. We're going to need to be pillars of stability in the midst of a world that has has anybody besides me noticed that the world around us has gone completely insane they don't even know what gender they are this is weird if our grandparents could see this they would think that they had woken awakened in bizarro land and in the middle of all of that God still has a hand outstretched saying, come to me. No matter how messed up you are, no matter how, how horrible you have goofed up, no matter how terrible you have been, come to me. I will receive you. He will not turn us away. Both born again and once we are believers, we get in. Let's get the bit between our teeth. Let's grow. Let's serve. Let's do the thing. Let's do that word. And when God says it, we believe it. That settles it. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone, available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play, You can also find us on Apple TV, 
Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.